Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion video podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, Editorials Editor. I'm Bobby Set, Editorial Writer. We are in the final stretch of the election season. For those of us who have to cover it, watch it, follow it, it's exhausting. Yeah, it is. Is it always this exhausting? I can't remember. Are we always this tired at this point mm -hmm. in the election season? Yeah, we are. It's like I forget. I was talking to the reporter, Randy Crable, who he, that guy needs a vacation. We need to have yeah. a GoFundMe account just for Randy Crable to give him like, I don't know, do men have spa days? You should. Uh, it's more like going fishing or something like that. We need to do that for Randy because oh. that man, he's he's gone through it. So we're almost there. But we did something kind of interesting this, this time around. So letters to the editor. Mm -hmm. Anyone that's worked in the editorial section has had to do letters. And Bob... You're the editor of the letters of the editor right now. But we have been running for three days a page and a half of letters. Mm -hmm. And we normally don't do that. But we're trying to get as many in. Our last day to publish is tomorrow. So unfortunately, all that has passed. The deadlines have passed. You missed it. Anyone else out there? But I'm just curious. This is the first time you've handled letters during election mm -hmm. season. What are, what are your takeaways from the the letter letters to the editor experience well for one it's it's interesting just to kind of see how people process thoughts um every now and then you're going to get people that are just kind of doing boilerplate stuff that they hear from tucker carlson or rachel maddow or whatever but most people are actually taking some time to you know put their own words to it the one thing that during campaign season so what we're doing is we've got a cooling off period saturday sunday monday tuesday where we don't run any letters that have to do with the election so that's why we've been just in this mad rush to print as many publish as many as these can as many of these as we can this week that's the extra space and stuff like that um just to be totally open and honest about how this process works, we can only publish what we get. You know, we can't elicit stuff from people other than saying, hey, write us a letter. So we can only publish what we can get. Um, I, we've had a candidate come in before and say, well, gosh, I see all these letters about me that are negative. Where's all the positive ones? So that's kind of what we told them. We only get we only can publish what we can get. So some people might be wondering, well, why are there so many letters that are coming from people from the left or Democrats or liberals or whatever, and not as many from Republicans and the right? And I go back to the other thing where it's like, we can only publish what we get. And it seems like to me, the people who are on the, uh, the left side of politics are more prolific in their writing. We just get more of them than we do from conservatives. So what I'm saying is in the future, if you got a conservative point of view and you're not happy about seeing all the uh the lefty letters, write us. We can because if if you got an opinion on something, we can't publish it until you send it. So but it has been interesting. Um we've even had a few candidates write letters on their own behalf. 
Um, and people are fired up. This is there are, I mean, folks are given the hyperbole in every election anyway. But yeah, people are excited right now. Yeah, you know that lopsidedness has always been an issue, and yeah, my my theory on it is that it comes down to motivation. That people who are generally happy with the way things are going. And this is even non during non-election time. People who are happy aren't motivated to write. They're like, you know, they go on their lives. But and it tends to be so if you're happy with who's in power, you're usually okay, right? Mm-hmm. So, but it's the people who aren't happy with the way things are going. They tend to not like the people in power. They're motivated to write. It's mm-hmm. kind of the same with election season. If you're real fired up about a candidate, they're motivated to write. So that's, I mean, that's all I can, my theory I can think of to sort of explain that. But what's kind of frustrating on, on my end is I'll, I will get a complaint. Why aren't there more views like mine is really what they're saying. Why mm-hmm. aren't there, my response is, well, write a letter. It's really easy. Tulsaworld.com backslash opinion backslash submit letter, or just go to the page, go to the opinion section, and there's a tab right there. 95% of the time, they don't. And it's really frustrating because I'm like, I agree. I think your view is, it should be in there, but you know, it's easy to complain. It's hard to kind of follow through with action, I guess, but, but it is an unusual thing that we've done. Um, We are still getting letters. Unfortunately, the deadline has passed because we do cut it off after Friday. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we won't have election letters. So um, they'll be more general in tone, but they just won't be candidate letters. But um, that does get me into the the next topic, which is the campaign signs. Mm I don't know who. So Kevin, I've always joked that it's not really a campaign season until people get upset about yard signs. It's usually about theft, right? I saw, and it's always funny to see candidates go out and try to steal signs. With all the cameras around, just don't do it. But yeah. but Tulsa does have a city ordinance about where to place signs. You can't place them in uh, like right of ways, like intersections that are public spaces. You you can't. And it drives me crazy when I see signs there. You know, because I'm like they're not supposed to be there. It's that's a public space. And um, and then there's another part of that ordinance is they can't be a certain. Uh, distance between by by the curb and these aren't just for political signs they're for all advertising signs you'll see that things for roofing or siding or whatever uh, but there has been um, a, a city program that trains volunteers who are concerned about this they call it litter on a stick because when you put them in right ways in public spaces they're there for months you know they'll end up being trash or garbage and they just yeah. You know, public safety-wise, they can be a distraction to drivers. So there are these volunteers that they get training in you know, a couple of hours about what the ordinance says, safety, that kind of thing. So they have been out taking signs out. So what do you expect? Oh, it, they're targeting, you know, whoever. What's funny is that it's clearly bipartisan because there are a lot of Democrats in the Brookside neighborhood really upset their signs are missing just as much as Republicans in South Tulsa. So mm-hmm. you can tell that they are just, these are a group of people that it's about beautifying neighborhoods. I, I will say, and I thought it was an interesting story because the residents are now learning of this ordinance because they get up like, where's my sign? 
-hmm. the, I, I will say that it, it would be a better approach for people who are getting signs that if you see, especially in, if, if it's in a house, a residential area, go up to the person inside, just let them move it because it's, you know, just let them know the ordinance, like, Hey, bring it closer to your house because it shouldn't be this close to the curb. But seeing people take them down from city parks or telephone poles or intersections, just, it's not partisan. It's a, it shouldn't be there in the first place. So I thought yeah. that was kind of an interesting story. Mm -hmm. so, I have one friend that she goes around, she has a whole like trunk full of signs that she goes, it just drives her crazy to see these rights of ways clogged up with all these signs. So she'll just go and just pull them out. Sometimes she'll go and return them to the campaign. Say, hey, <laughs> her campaign workers are violating the uh, city ordinance. Here you go. I think it was nice, but. Um, yeah. So we were talking earlier about political violence. That was another, with the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband mm -hmm. and and just the rise in political violence. I mean, this more, I mean, we joke about the campaign sign things, but that does sometimes trigger an anger that's there. And you're the one that sort of brought up, you had a lot to say about the political violence earlier this week. I mean, what, when you heard that story, what went through your head? Well, gosh, um, specifically with Paul Pelosi, uh, outside of these little misinformation people that have been putting out there, it's just, he's an 80-something-year-old dude who got attacked with a hammer because somebody didn't like his wife, and he was out there looking for her, and he was going to do some business. And if we're getting to the point now where our rhetoric you know, we got to fight. We, this person's evil, blah, blah, blah. This is the result. People are going to get shot. People are going to get struck with something like that. I mean, and it's not something that's just, you know, completely one side or anything like that. I, mean, I do remember a congressional baseball game that got shot up. Steve Scalise got pretty badly injured. You go back a few years before that with, uh, Gabby Giffords in Arizona, she gets shot um, on a larger look at things. Go back to January 6th, some very riled up people. Some of those folks were on the hunt. They weren't there just to walk around the Capitol and say, hey, look what we did. They were looking for folks, specific folks, and they were making threats. You know, there was a gallows out in front of the Capitol. I, I remember seeing something else where somebody was protesting in a state capitol and somebody had built a guillotine a real working guillotine out there and and then my thing that i go back to often when i see this is as bad as january 6th was and it was very bad for a number of reasons here in oklahoma we've got more reasons to think back at what political violence can lead to with the oklahoma city bombing now, albeit that was a very much a fringe couple of people that did that, I don't think it matters that much. People were motivated to do damage because they didn't like the politics of whoever. So we have got to take this down a notch. We have got to find a way to make sure that the battles that are being fought are just done at the, at the ballot box and through legislative votes and stuff like that and keep it centered in, in those systems to where 
you know, when you have winners and losers, you're not talking about the losers getting bludgeoned over the head or blown up or shot. I mean, well, and you, you mentioned misinformation, which is important because yeah. you're seeing all sorts of theories that are just complete bunk. I mean, Elon Musk put one out and he finally took yeah. it down. And there are other leaders that have are putting out like, well, it doesn't make sense. No, it does make sense. It's a police report. And these aren't anecdotal. So the Capitol Police said they had more legitimate investigate, investigations of legitimate threats last year than like the four previous years. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely ramped up to the point where people, good people are going to question, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to put, because it's not just them yeah. they're putting at risk, it's their families. Mm -hmm. And there have been threats against people's families. And it's, it's a real concern. And so I, I just think we just have to say enough. I mean, as voters, people that want to push violence, violent rhetoric, violent, you know, it, completely inappropriate imagery, I think we can say we're not going to put you in there. We're, you're not going to get our vote. I mean, that's the only way, because that's how it should be. We should take yeah. it there. Um, and, you know, just kind of this violence in general is, is, is concerning. Mm -hmm. And we've talked a lot about crime rates. That's been an issue of, of what the crime rates say, mean, and you, your column this weekend touches on that because you had a very personal thing happen to you. And I'll just let you yeah. explain, give a little um, preview as to what you're writing about. Okay. Well, long story short, uh, I'm sitting here working at my home office and I heard what I thought was a jackhammer. It was not a jackhammer. Um, it was a shooting. Somebody had unloaded a magazine worth of bullets from a rifle at a at another car uh fortunately the person who was hit three times um non-life-threatening injuries they're going to be okay they did catch the shooter so that guy's in jail and he's going to be up for some pretty serious felony charges but we've been writing a lot on our editorial pages and in the newspaper about just how bad our gun violence problem is. And the Tulsa police chief, Wendell Franklin, has talked about this more than a few times, how the combination of loose gun laws, availability of firearms, uh, carelessness by gun owners in terms of keeping their weapons secure and locked away has led to a rash of gun-related deaths. People are getting shot. So, you know, it's one thing to think about that theoretically, you know, but if this guy was shooting, instead of shooting north, like he was toward a commercial building and was hosing down the guy shooting east or west, he would have been hitting houses. And with a semi-automatic rifle that he was using, those bullets will travel through walls, they'll travel through windows, they'll travel through furniture, and they can kill you not just the person who they're shooting at. I mean, this guy was shooting pretty wildly. We're, you know, I live in the city. I don't live in a suburb. I don't live in a little country town or something like that. So I think people might have this understanding that, oh, well, that kind of stuff just happens in the city. And the truth is, is it doesn't just happen in the city. It happens all over the place. Um, 
rural Oklahoma has just as big a gun violence problem as urban or suburban Oklahoma. But the neighborhood that I live in, I just moved here a few months ago. It's not this caricature gangland shooting gallery that folks would like to imagine it to be, to excuse it or to explain it. That's not what this place is. I mean, you know, there's a lot of families that live here. There are people got their Christmas lights up already, Halloween stuff, there are trick-or-treaters and going around on Monday night. Um, it's quiet. I feel safe taking a walk in the neighborhood. I feel just fine doing it. So something like this is a little jarring. And it's just another reminder. We got an issue here. We've got yeah, a I, I always view your area as this, this trendy neighborhood. I mean, I always kind of like, yeah, it's a up and coming trendy kind of hipster neighborhood that um that kind of thing doesn't happen. But you're right. That, that's one thing I enjoyed about reading your column is how you describe your neighborhood. Because right now, when I'm following what candidates in particular are saying around the state, because they'll they'll they know who they're speaking to. So when they're speaking to Western Oklahoma, you know, versus you know the Tulsa Chamber, they're very different tones. Right. And part of what what the not what just Western Oklahoma, but rural Oklahoma are hearing from candidates like you guys are doing it great here, but Tulsa they're really scary. They've got you know, and it's not. It's in that create it's further creating that divide between rural and urban here to have those stereotypes playing. And I've heard, and you have heard, candidates come in to speak with us and how their perceptions of what our neighborhoods are like are completely off. And gun violence is everywhere. And that's, it's hard for people to accept that because maybe they don't see it or their perception of what, how, how bad it is, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, the, there was a, a crime that happened after our last podcast in Broken Arrow that is still jarring, which is oh, yeah. a family died. It was a murder-suicide, you know, six children and two parents. And it was a fire, but it was uh, a murder and then suicide. And this was in very trendy part of Broken Arrow, not mm -hmm. far from where my sister lives. Um, and they were very isolated. And one of the things that has come out in our reporting and struck me is how in the middle of a very urban area, populated area, you still have people who can be completely isolated, who yeah. are, who, you know, no one's checking on. And that this kind of, whether it's mental health or, or just violence, this kind of thing happens. And so it's hitting all, this kind of thing hits all communities. Mm -hmm. And, and I really, that's one thing I really liked about your column was that we have to care about people we don't know. We have to bear, care about communities where we don't live and maybe realize some of the, the rhetoric we're hearing about these places isn't right, isn't true, isn't accurate. So that I really did appreciate. Well, and, one, one final note I would get on that too, and this is the point that I went out of my way to make, mm -hmm. is... When you look at the, the gun violence involving young people, the other kinds of crime where firearms are being used to rob, kill, whatever, it's happened in every part of the city. It's happened in a place where 
people are quote unquote afraid to go, but it's also happening in places that people think think are safe and wealthy and pretty and manicured and stuff like that too. I mean, let's not forget back in June, we had a mass shooting that got national attention that was that had all of the little precursors of if we had a law for this, this wouldn't have happened. If we had something for that, this would not happen. But there are no there are no there are no emergency breaks here. Um the guy bought a rifle three hours less than three hours before he went to that to the hospital complex and shot some people in a very safe, nice, pretty part of town. Just like we have shootings in poor neighborhoods and working class neighborhoods, homicides out in small towns. Seen that a little bit. If you remember right what happened down in Okmulgee, uh-huh. it was pretty bad. That was so it was jarring. So for, let's just be let's just be real. Four people this. that were shot and killed. Yeah. Wasn't that right? I mean, that's yeah. So so this happens everywhere. Um, and I like I like the way you you explain that. And I think we have to be more aware of that. Mm-hmm. I had a, a really interesting interview. I've, I've met this gentleman before, uh, but I was, my previous story that involved him was about his medical experience. So it's Dr. Marcel Benstock. He was a longtime ophthalmologist in Tulsa. And he, he always played down the, his early childhood experience. And I, 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 he has gotten away from that now, no kind of recognizing its unusualness, but he escaped the Nazis, like mm-hmm. literally escaped Nazis as a child jumping from a moving train in the middle of the night with his parents, crawling to, you know, to not get the attention of patrols, swimming across a border into the Swiss Alps. And then they, they had a whole different experience then once in Switzerland, they were a Jewish family in France and then they just it, on the on a border town and just kept moving so he has a fascinating history of how a French a Jewish French boy in 19 you know 42 ends up a longtime Tulsa ophthalmologist so that alone you know is a story to tell. yeah so we have the observance of crystal knot coming up next week yep. and for those who don't know that was a 1938 two-day uh, attack on Jewish communities. Anything that was Jewish owned, you know, businesses, homes, synagogues, temples, the cemeteries, anything that was, they was just destroyed and glass everywhere. So it's a night of broken glass. And it was, it marks the first time there was a, a mass roundup of Jewish people and sent off to concentration camps. And some people kind of view that as like the first big um, atrocity, although there were atrocities coming up. But after that, <laughs> You know, these were Nazi leaders. These were, you know, leaders voted into office. They were. You know, people forget Hitler was voted into office. And after that, they blamed the the crystal knot, all that, on the Jews, made them pay for it, even though it was clearly not. It was, you know, government stormtroopers, basically. And then after that, all types of anti-Semitic and discriminatory laws went into place. So he spoke to me. There, There is an event Thursday, I believe. Yeah, Thursday. I have it in my column. Free TCC where Ava Unterman, who survived the Holocaust at the actual like, concentration camp in Tulsa, she's going to speak. Dr. Binstock's going to speak about his experience. There were two other people. So to sort of promote that, I, I went back to Dr. Binstock and, and spoke. 
And he told me his story that I, that I wrote. But one thing, he is not a political guy. He's very interesting. He's 87. He's retired. And the one thing he said that, that stuck with me and that he really wanted to emphasize is how important it is that we are careful who we elect. He said people need to take seriously who you select as leaders because it only takes one to wreak havoc is the way he said it. It only takes one to create chaos because that's what his lived experience was. A lot of Jewish um, families, a lot of Jewish people are really calling out the anti-Semitism that's on the rise. And I have some stats that showed, yes, this is an anecdotal, like crime rates, actual incidents of anti-Semitic crime has been on the rise. And and so when you have that as your background, that was the, he didn't say, he didn't mention politics or parties, but he was just really concerned about what he's seeing, the division, the lack of empathy for others, but he just mm-hmm. kept saying, be careful, be very careful, learn from what happened. And he, w- he was really interesting. And I hope people uh, will go to this event because he is speaking out a little bit more about what he went through. And it's just, again, something out of a movie that we have in Tulsa. One of the best and reviews we've had all week. I will say that that column was really good. He, he was fascinating. He just, I don't think for a, a long, I think for most of his life, he just didn't, Maybe it's because there are other people who, because he could have been rounded up. He could have, his family just was one of those families that just kept moving ahead. You know, they moved from France to Italy. They found basically a person who helped get him over the border with this crazy night of of escape. But he easily could have been in one of those camps. And maybe it's that he didn't have it so bad because he wasn't rounded up. He didn't have that. They were able to get to Switzerland, eventually the United States. Um, but I think now he's looking back on that maybe with some different perspective, but he was really interesting. Um, but it was also a, a nice reminder going into Tuesday that we really do need to pay attention to who we vote for. Yeah. And I've always viewed elected I've always viewed elections as like a time to reassess. Like this is a time to sit down and evaluate who who do we want to represent us? Because it's not like a good friend I like. These are people who are supposed to be a mirror to ourselves. So what are our priorities? And tone matters. What kind of leader do you want to deliver the message and to, and to meet the priorities? So you know, we have a roundup of what the board, you know, puts forward as endorsements. Um, you know, they we had some pretty robust disagreements, but at the end of the day, like everybody, you might be torn between two candidates, but you have to make a decision. Yeah. As a board, we had to do that too. So not all the members on our board will vote exactly like that, but we it really forces you to sit down take stock of each race and please do not straight party vote. I don't even know no. why that's a thing anymore. If these people are going to spend the time and the effort to run, at least have the decency to go down and make a selection, read their name. And there's all types of information out. Yep. But I just, you know, I want people to go vote. You know, don't take that right for granted, you know? So anything you want to add about Tuesday, about 
We're, this is it. You can't, you can't really complain about something unless you get your hat in the ring there, man. If you uh, want to see a change or you want to keep things the way they are, get there, cast your ballot. It's a right mm -hmm. that you're given. Uh, if you don't use it, then, I mean, shoot, you don't use then it. Whatever, I mean, yeah, if it. you don't use it, then any, I, I don't, I've never understood it, honestly, but I, I know that there are some youth that feel this disenfranchised because they're listening to sort of the national rhetoric and there is there you know they have some legit complaints about how the electoral college works but to explain like your city council race there was one race within 10 votes yeah. those you know there are races that come so close that that vote absolutely matters to explain to get that point across and local and state they have so much impact on you yeah, that's totally. where if you talk about tax rates, you talk, I mean, everything like your city councilor, that's who's going to help decide who's going to pick up your trash and, in, in, you know, one or two times a week. So mm -hmm. things that direct directly affect us every day are at this level. So trying to bring that message to to younger people is, is important. And and you know what? Win, lose or draw, no matter what happens, whether whether your candidate wins or not, just let's wake up Wednesday and just start anew. And we just. Yep. Take a breath, say, okay, what's done is done. Now we got to get together. We don't have to keep this rancor going. I just, I don't know, it's that optimism in me. Maybe yeah. it can happen. Well, on that, I just tell everyone, have a good weekend. Go vote. Be safe on Friday night because it looks like bad weather. Mm -hmm. Anything else, Bob? That all sounds right to me, man. Early voting is going on through Saturday afternoon. Tuesday, if you're going to do it in person, 7 a.m., 7 p.m., find your polling place, get it done. All right. And we will see you back here next week. Thank you. See ya.